Live from Nashville, Tennessee, it's the Campfire Cafe on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. Hone your Tennessee. I'm your host, Gary Holt. Joining me in Albuquerque, New Mexico, is our co-host, Bobby Bell. Good morning, Miss Bobby. Good morning, Gary. So let's see. We're into August. What's going on there with uh, weather in Nashville? Uh, it's still hot. It's still hot <laughs> and humid. Not much difference between July, but uh, uh, that's just kind of the way. It, but you know what? They were talking on the weather last night. And by the way, I watch uh, uh, CBS's 
local station, Channel 5 in Nashville. Their weather person is Bree Smith. And so as Bree came on the uh, 6 o'clock weather forecast last night, good old Sam, my dog Sam, I looked up <laughs> and he was sitting, he was sitting right in front of the television watching <laughs> Bree do her weather. So I sent her a picture of Sam and she said, he's just a smart dog. And I had to agree. But uh, yeah, but they're saying that things will cool down just a little bit by the end of the month. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. And I bet it's pretty nice mm-hmm. in Albuquerque, isn't it? Uh, we started with just a gorgeous morning. It looks like mm, we might have uh, some rain, some thunder, possibly this evening. I kind of call it the cocktail monsoon. Um, we actually had hail the other day. We had about oh, 20 wow. minutes of, of thunder and lightning and heavy rain and then hail. So. <laughs> wow. Well, the hail is not, you know, not good. Yeah, but the rain no. is, is welcome out in, in New Mexico. So well, certainly where we are. That. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have a great show today, and let's get right into it. Who is our first guest today on the Campfire Cafe? We welcome back, after a very long absence, we welcome back Ryan Murphy, and and we're going to be talking about a brand new album just released. Well, that's going to be fun visiting with our good friend Ryan Murphy and uh, catch up with what he's been doing for the last, I think, six years. It's been too long, (laughs) too long since Ryan's been on the show. But we were visiting with him, and then on Saddle Up America in the second hour of the show, we're going to welcome back... For the ninth, beginning of the ninth year, Bobby, Backcountry Horseman America on Saddle Up America. So we'll be talking with Randy Rasmussen and Greg Schatz uh, on Saddle Up America. And then we go to Sacramento, California to talk with J.P. Dial. And he works with the Sacramento Sheriff's Department, and they use America's Mustangs in their prisoner rehabilitation program. So this could be a fun couple of hours on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. But right now, we want to get to a song from our good friend, Mr. Ryan Murphy. He did this one with Michael Barham, and it's one called Heaven Knows. When we come back, we'll be talking with Ryan Murphy today on the Campfire Cafe. Thank you. 
loves and everybody hates. Beauty of the dark, the pain you can't escape. You like to run away, but the truth is we can't leave. And the pain we must face, what was I meant to be? Got an angel of mine, why must you shine? Light up the darkness down in the mine. Won't you come back to me? Haunt me in my dreams till the end of my days. Well, heaven knows the way. Bright an angel of mine, why must you shine? Here in the darkness, down in this mine, won't you come back to me? Haunt me in my dreams till the end of my days. Heaven knows I. on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. We just heard Heaven Knows featuring today's guest, Ryan Murphy. In 1973, famed singer-songwriter Michael Martin Murphy invited his three-year-old son, Ryan, to the stage with him and his friend, Willie Nelson, at the Abbott reunion in Austin. Three years later, six-year-old Ryan joined his dad for a taping of Austin City Limits. By the time he was 17, he was performing regularly with Michael, going on to be his father's lead guitarist of choice and even produced the Grammy-nominated Buckaroo Bluegrass and Michael's subsequent albums. This powerful father and son duo have just released a new project exploring fresh territory. Road Beyond the View features wonderful jazz-inflected virtuoso guitar as well as Latin-influenced tracks. Please help us back. Welcome back to Campfire Cafe, a multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, and Grammy-nominated producer who was known to contemplate string theory in his spare time, <laughs> Ryan Murphy. Welcome, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you, Bobby. What an intro. Wow, Gary. I'm oh, gosh. Good to, good I'm doing great. It is so buddy. good. Yeah, good to have you back. I, you know, we actually got to visit, I think, last year for a few minutes over at Nashville School of the arts because uh, our youngest right. daughter cc we yeah. back to town yeah yeah CC, so cc yeah. is going to school this year and uh unfortunately i don't think she has you for any of her classes but you do a great okay, job she with must be in uh in theater or one of the other conservatories she's art she, she likes art. Visual she's art. Art. Okay, visual yeah. arts yeah Wonderful. yeah visual That's arts a great so program it's kind of yeah. cool kind of cool ryan she auditioned in both uh, vocal and visual arts and she got both of them, and uh, oh, she fantastic. loves visual arts. Wow. Yeah, but she kind of sings it's like a her mama just a there. little bit. It it, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, enough about yeah, school. all those school starts back right there. away, doesn't it? I mean, you know. Oh, Monday we're we're back ready. at it. Yeah, I can't believe it. Are Summer you? flew by. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. We wow. played so many shows this summer, uh, Gary and Bobby. That I haven't played that many shows since I was probably in my twenties. It was, um, I left May 26th and just got back last week. And I think we did something like 28 or 30 shows during that time. 
Oh, um, wow. And it was, it was one of the best summers I've ever had with my dad. You know, he still, he still sings exactly the same as he did when I was a very little boy. And, uh, you know, and this new music, he's exploring the kind of music that I knew really more than what most people know. So it's kind of a fun thing. I think for his really hardcore fans, they're going to see that connection from what he started off as into what he's working on now and everything in yeah. between. Um, yeah. yeah. And I don't, well, I'm one of the uh, road, road beyond the view. Road beyond the view is a, is a different album. So people are going to kind of enjoy this, but they'll say, well, this is not yeah. what we're used to from Michael Martin Murphy with all of his <laughs> cowboy songs. Yeah. But it's a great know CD. from the, well, thank you so much. Yeah, most people know him from the cowboy years, but uh, a lot of people may not remember or may not know that that didn't happen until he was well into his late 40s. Um, oh, wow. And, you know, all that, mu- all that music before cowboy music. I never heard a cowboy song, Gary, until I was 21 years old. I had never he- heard my dad no. sing a cowboy song. And uh, no. you know, he was focused on writing his own material. And and yeah. and uh, the classic songs was something that I never heard around the house, uh, but that's what most people think of him as now. Um, so it's very interesting to see how one artist can go through so many phases. He's really an incredible artist in that way to have so many different musical facets that he's explored. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've always said, uh, not only does he have a great voice, but he is one of the most talented instrumentalists that I've heard. And you know, anywhere, absolutely, Absolutely. and banjo, you know, but the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Yeah, (laughs) apple did not fall far from the tree because you are unbelievable, unbelievable. Well, thank you. How many instruments do you play? Uh, well, really, you know, well, okay. So I I feel like I feel like I play two pretty well, (laughs) but I I have been known to dabble in the. I do like the upright bass quite a bit, and I, I'll occasionally play a little piano just to figure out a melody or something like that. Oh, but, wow. You know, it's really all about the guitar and the mandolin for me. Like you heard on that first song, that was such a great selection because I was playing the mandolin and the guitar on that track um, mm-hmm. at the same time, mm-hmm. of course. There might have been a little studio uh, trickery involved in that. But, could have uh, been, could have been, could have been. Well, I want to get to the title cut from The Road oh, Beyond the View. And, and uh, before I do, though, tell us a little bit about this song. And, and really, Ryan, tell us how this album came to be because you and your dad, uh, Michael Martin Murphy, collaborated heavily on this, this project. So how did all this come to be? This, you know, I think the seed of this to me was a song called Blues for 66 that we wrote in mm-hmm. 1995 for a blues mm. project called The Mother Road uh, that was written by Michael Wallace. But it was only half mm-hmm. of a song. It, it was like kind of when you do a soundtrack, you might do like an excerpt. But it sat there for, for years. And okay. then when my dad did the Austinology project, he recorded a song called Honolulu, which is a very jazzy song. It's a very old song that he wrote from the Cosmic Cowboy album. And okay. I played jazz guitar, and he played acoustic guitar. And it was just the two of us on that one track. And it's a bonus track on, on that. You have to you have to purchase like the special version to get that track. Okay. Um, 
but he you know he he called me up uh during the the um the isolation times you know in these past few years and he said hey let's make a jazz album <laughs> so it was wow. really his idea and i was kind of like okay really you know and he's like yeah you know stuff like honolulu where it's just you and me you know two guitars or one guitar in the bass we didn't even think about having drums at all it was just going to be two guitars and two voices um, but then we wrote this song that you're about to hear, and it actually wasn't as jazzy as some of the other tunes. Um, it's more like a singer-songwriter Americana type of tune, I guess right. you'd say. Um, right. And it was inspired by – I happened to be really getting into studying Georgia O'Keeffe again. Like I, I was mm. really in love with her work mm. um, when I used to live in Santa Fe and okay. uh, just kind of going out to her place in Abiquiu and learning about her. So I have a lot of, of prior knowledge about her career, but she's my dad's favorite artist of all time. And, you know, he, he's always talked about her since I was very young. Um, but he had never explained why he loved her so much. And so we started talking about that one day. We called each other every day. I, I'm probably closer to my dad now than I ever have been. Oh, um, that's great. Probably be, because of what happened. You know, we just needed that familiar voice in that time. Um, right. And uh, we we started writing over, you know, Google Docs and the phone, and we weren't sure if it would work, but it actually worked great. It, it, was, it was one of the coolest songwriting experiences I've ever had in my life. And we would just start throwing lines out, you know, what do we like about Georgia? You know, this painting, this concept, this part of her life. And it became a, a really random uh, pastiche of images and lines, and it kind of started to evolve into a song that is really kind of unexplainable that if you were going to try to tell someone what the song is about, I, I don't think I can right. express it um, in any kind of logical or tangible English, but it, it really is like one of her paintings. If you listen to it long enough, it starts to form something in your mind. And, and so that kind of led us to doing an entire album in that, in that style of just not trying to explain anything and letting it kind of just become whatever it is. Well, we will and I have not to say explain it's my favorite this. project I've, I've, I've ever done. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. great. That's great. Well, we're not yeah. going to try to explain the song, but this is Road Beyond the View. It's the title cut from the new CD by Michael Martin Murphy and Ryan Murphy. We'll be back in just a minute on the Campfire Cafe. <laughs> Flowers in the nursery, ram's head floating by. Getter of the Sarinita, floating mountains in the sky. One for Arthur and Lavender, a nursery of bones. Petals in the desert, a pallet of stone. Apples from a broken tree, skulls in the Green simplicity, unspoken doubt. On the line, purple chaos, screaming red from above. Antlers from eternity, dead letters broken up. We were beyond the view, far away nearby. Chase the red clay moon to the wild eyed 
night I'm coming home again From a place I've never been Black Mesa in a dark wind On the road beyond the view Looking for another place On the road beyond the view You know I thought I saw you Far away and close to you On a canvas hidden turquoise In a blue large blur In the spaces of emptiness I hear the messenger I want to live beyond the politics Red and blue religion too Walk the desert playing pickups Solving riddles false and true Cross the Jesus in the sunset Leading hard wasteland In the cliffs beyond Abiquiu In a sea of sage and sand The road beyond the view Far away nearby Chase the red clay moon Into the wild eyed night Tonight I'm coming home again from a place I never knew Black Mesa in a dark wind On the road beyond the view Black Mesa in the dark wind On the road beyond the view track from the brand new album of Michael Martin Murphy and Ryan Murphy and it's so fun living here in New Mexico and I think mm-hmm. of um, I always think of Michael Martin Murphy and New Mexico even though I know <laughs> he's got uh, roots in Texas and other places and he's been performing at Red River I know he's there most all of this month too were you able were you with him at all last month Ryan I, I was and that is just the most beautiful venue um, in Red River, the Rockin' Three and Chuck Wagon, it's up in the mountains, and there's a beautiful lake behind it. And you know, when you hear my dad's clear voice like that, singing those kinds of songs with all that imagery, uh, there's just really nothing like it. It's still an experience that feels fresh and and uh, truly enchanting to, to me to this day. And I was there all July. <laughs> you were there all July. Um, so yeah. you're obviously you're back you're back out performing um, after uh, <laughs> solitary confinement. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so how how uh, was that? Was it easy to kind of get back into it, or did it take a tell us a little bit about how you kind of found yourself on stage again? What that experience was like. You know, Bobby, it, it felt like starting over, but also like an old friend. Um, my dad and I have been playing together so long, but we have never played together like this before, where where I had made such a big contribution. I've always been there kind of in the background helping him out, um, like like you were saying, produce, producing and playing guitar. But I've never had the opportunity to co-write every song 
um, and to play all of the lead guitar. Even though I've, I've always been known as an instrumentalist, I've never played a lot of lead guitar on his projects. This is the first oh. time I, I've ever done that. And, and it's something I've been waiting around to do for like 30 years. And, and it finally mm-hmm. all happened right after the isolation. Um, and I felt different on stage. Uh, I, I felt like the person I wanted to be when I was three oh. years old at the picnic oh. for the first time. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. wow. Oh, <laughs> how yeah. wonderful, Ryan. Yeah. How wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so are you already have another project in the works by chance? Well, uh, you know, dad's always thinking about the next project, but I'm kind of hoping mm-hmm. to savor this one a little longer because <laughs> it was such, it's such a special <laughs> thing for me. You know, there, there's a guy who used to play with my dad when I was a little boy. His name was Sam Broussard, and he played the, the famous uh, lick on Wildfire. And uh-huh. I wanted to be him. You know, I wanted to be Sam Broussard, and I finally got to be Sam Broussard this summer. And he oh. sang that real ha- high harmony like I do as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. so I, I just wanted to keep going and play these songs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, how but you know, Dad, he'll he'll be he'll be ready for the next thing before I yeah. am. <laughs> I think Gary has queued up um, River Song. Yes, Gary, do you are you going to do I River do. Song? I do. Um, oh, I want to just one. tell us a little something quickly about it. Sure, sure. Um, so sadly, my uh, beloved stepmother Mary. Uh, passed away during the isolation and I just it, it just wrecked me because I re- even though she wasn't my mom I really loved her but she lived on a on a ranch called River Song in Taos and so even though they had split up many years ago my dad wrote that song as a tribute to her and and our time in Taos that just was a magic time mm. so it's a very nostalgic oh. song uh, about her yeah <laughs> yeah Let's take it. It's a beautiful song. It's River Song. We're talking with Ryan Murphy today on the Campfire Cat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Equestrian Legacy Radio. It was all about horses. And about yeah. six yeah. months, about six months into the deal, I thought, you know, I need to start having some music because I'm a I'm a horse guy, but I'm also a yeah. music guy. And so uh, I, I always loved Wildfire. And so oh, I thought, who would I like for my very first guest? And I thought, well, Michael Martin Murphy. And mm-hmm. so I happened to go. mention that to somebody, and uh, well, it was my brother. I mentioned my brother, and he said, "I know Lance Cowan. I think he's his publicist or something." <laughs> and so we got in touch with Lance, and then he brought your dad on. And so I guess he was my very first musical guest, and that's been ten years ago now. Mm-hmm. Ten wow. years ago now. Yeah. Yeah, Gary, you know, something about music and horses, that's, maybe that's why we hit it off, because uh, I was a horse guy as well most of my childhood and early, early 20s and raising and showing, and, and but music was just always there. Maybe it was like when we would wash the horses and train the horses, we always had the radio on in the background, and, and it just kind of was like the soundtrack of, of raising horses. And uh, my dad, he really understands that and, and how they go together. Yeah, yeah. In, a, in a beautiful well, way. It, it works. It works. Yeah. Um, I think right now I want to digress just a little bit. 
and right. play a song that you did with David and Johnny when you guys were the Sawdust Brothers. And, yes, love uh, that project. You were, you guys were so absolutely fantastic together. As a matter of fact, I guess, I guess you guys were at Rendezvous for a couple of years performing. We were, uh, yeah. And, we uh, we somehow yeah. managed to pull that off <laughs> and get yeah. everyone in the same place. Yeah, because Johnny's mm-hmm. out in California, mm-hmm. and I think David's what Washington or Oregon. He's in he's in uh, Oregon, you know. And we used to live in Tennessee, and it's funny because we were doing this isolated recording thing long before a lot of folks were. Oh yeah. Just because we were in living in different <laughs> states. And then during the isolation, all of a sudden everyone was doing it. And I was really fortunate to have practiced that kind of recording before. You, know. <laughs> you were ready. Oh, I was ready. They were ready. They were ready. Yes. Well, this is a fun song. And uh, uh, you do a beautiful job on this. This is Ryan Murphy and the Sawdust Brothers. It's one called Amelia Farewell. And we're going to listen to that and come back and talk more with Ryan in just a minute on the Campfire Cafe. Sometimes I can still hear her say Please don't ride with the boys today But an outlaw never listens anyway It was a cold cowboy goodbye I didn't have an alibi She said the price on your head is high Wanted men don't come back alive Blue skies, sage and snow The pinion burning low Morning mission bell Amelia Farewell, farewell We had the drop on the fence They were all left for dead How could I know it was my head My brother's would feel led They saw the fear In my eyes As they laughed And let those bullets fly I fell face down in the night They took the gold And left me there to die Amelia, farewell, 
Legacy Radio. When we return, we'll be talking with our good friends from Backcountry Horsemen of America. Heard about a land where the cowboys came. Take a picture on the wall from a magazine. Got a renegade heart beating in its chest. Gonna beg till I borrow his way out west. And a sea of stage on and on. Gonna learn the way of a native son. Gonna turn the head of our Just dragging Kevin Bill. 
Saddle Up America on the Equestrian Legacy Radio Network. I'm your host, Gary Holt. In Albuquerque is our co-host, Bobby Bell. And we are, I just found out yesterday, we are now celebrating the ninth year of Backcountry Horsemen of America on Saddle Up America every first Thursday. Yeah. That's my that's my congratulations for that. So but anyway, we want to welcome our regular guest, Mr. Randy Rasmussen. And Randy, tell us who you brought with you today. Oh, hi Gary. Hi Bobby. Well, I have hi. an all star among our backcountry horsemen of America family and uh Greg Schatz from Montana. I'd love for him to take center stage here because he's got a lot. We've talked a lot about youth and how to engage youth, Gary and Bobby, in previous conversations. Well, Greg is doing it. So Greg Schatz is, you know, the penultimate, uh, you know, packer here. He went on his first backpacking, or backpacking, so this is before horses and mules, in wild country. He was 14, and then that's when he saw stock being packed. And so at 19, he ditched the backpack 
and quickly yeah. developed, you know, a, an affinity for pack stock. And uh, he joined the backcountry horsemen of the Flathead in Montana in his 20s when he was young. Um, wow. Both he and his, his wife, Deborah. And he, they have spent a lifetime packing horses and, and tens of thousands of miles in the Bob Marshall wilderness and surrounding wild country. Um, and his wife, Deborah, among other things, too, publishes our quarterly newsletter. So they're a dynamic duo. Um, it's been said that a horseman's lucky to have one really good horse in his life. And Greg has said that he's been fortunate to have several. So wow. as I mentioned, he's, he's the chair of our Backcountry Horseman of America's Youth Committee. He's going to talk about the next generation Packers and what he's doing. I would just love for Greg to take it away and we all have a conversation focused on his great work. Oh, that's great. Well, Greg, first of all, let me say that, uh, that uh, my family loves to hike and backpack and I love to horseback ride and backpack. And I've always said there's a reason that they have four legs and we only have two. So I think you were very wise to start outfitting and packing with the horses on there. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Gary. Hi, Bobby. Hi. Well, I'm glad to hear that we have some programs that are working with the youth. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing and how you got started with that. Well, it's interesting that, you know, your show is called Equestrian Legacy Radio. And what legacy are we leaving to the youth with stock? specifically and packing in general. Um, with BCHA, we focus on getting youth involved with stock and backcountry. In Montana, we focus on the packing part, and a few other states focus on the packing part, but there's other backcountry horsemen chapters that don't have the um, packing portion because they don't have the, the wild country to do it in. Right. Um, so... The Backcountry Horsemen of America maintains a Google Drive, and on that drive, we have a ton of information. So if a person in a local chapter wants to involve youth, um, there's a ton of information for that person to use on how, what to do with that young person, whether it's an hour or whether it's all weekend. Um, and so, like, here in Montana, we have uh, a program where it's we'll have a bunch of school kids come out. Um, there's three different towns that do this, two different backcountry horsemen chapters that are involved with this. And in the spring, we'll have probably 1,500 fifth graders come out. Oh, wow. They'll all get a taste of, of packing. And we're dealing with each of those fifth graders for like 45 minutes. And so it's just like planting that seed so they see what it is. Um, and then in other states, like in South Dakota recently, they just had a um, trail skills class. And so there was things to do for the kids that had horses and things to do for kids who didn't have horses. Um, and so, and then further east, they'll have um, like a two-hour seminar on a Saturday where the kids can come out. And if it doesn't matter if they have horses or not, they can learn about what they do with the horses in the backcountry that they have, they might learn outdoor skills that are useful when you have a horse. And so there's a wide range of events that we have in the backcountry horsemen of America. So are, are, do you have a lot of kids that uh, once, how long have you been doing this, by the way? How long have you had this program? 
So Back Country Horse in America, it's fairly new. The, the like organizing and sharing the information is fairly new, maybe two years. Okay. Um, Backcountry Horsemen of Montana, it's been going on a lot longer. I happen to be the chair of the Backcountry Horsemen of Montana youth program as well. Um. So how are these kids receiving uh, this type of program? I mean, are you having any trouble keeping their noses out of their smartphones? I mean, that's a problem I have with my <laughs> grandkids. So, so here is something really funny that I talk about often. Okay. It's, why don't we use those smartphones to manipulate those kids to have fun in the outdoors? So mm-hmm. there's a ton of map apps. Um, we have photo contests. We have um, scavenger hunts where they have to use their phones to find where the treasures are. And so okay. um, instead of saying, don't use your phone, let's show them how to use the, their phone to our advantage. Oh, that's um, great. We're we're on the very early stages of putting together video package a video package of let's say you want to set up a high line and so you download this video on your high line and you can go outside or even it doesn't matter if you have cell service or not you can use your phone to figure out how to the videos on your phone to figure out how to put up that high line um, mm-hmm. and so there's a, a ton of things that we so so instead of fighting about the phones let's use it to our advantage. Wow, that's great. That's crazy. So are you using TikTok yet, Greg? The only thing is TikTok was when friends send me videos. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. That's, 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 I, 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 I got threatened good. to get my computer taken away yesterday because I was screwing things up. So I'm not very good oh, at it. Gosh. Oh, but, gosh. But that's where the young people come in. So, you know, you have – we we make contact with um, young people. Let's say they're in high school or college. Right. Let's use them to make the videos. Let's use them to tell us what mm-hmm. they can use their phone for. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of the stuff that we do here in Montana is we rely on those people, let's say from the 15 to 25 age group to attract the younger people because I just turned 60, so I don't know what's going to attract those younger people. Right, mm-hmm. right. Right. Yeah, I can't figure that out myself, and I'm I'm much older than fifty, so it's kind of hard to figure. Well, well, I just turned sixty, not fifty. Okay, all right. Well, I'm older um, than sixty-two, so go ahead, Bobby. And Greg, I I have a question. Um, I've been looking at the newsletter, the most recent one on the website, and um, this had to do with an event that happened in California, but because you're so knowledgeable, I will assume, um, the Bishop Mule Days that just happened over Memorial Day weekend is really fun. There were a, there was a competition, and some of the, like, comedy load, pack team comedy load, team packing mystery load, do you, do you, are you familiar with, like, what was, what would, what would be a comedy load competition? <laughs> um. So I don't know for sure. I know okay. that in the, in the past they'll like have car parks that like they'll they'll run a Volkswagen Beetle into the arena and take it apart, and you have to pack the car parts one into the arena. Oh, oh wow. my goodness! Oh. Wow. Wow. Um, but but specifically this last meal days, I don't know what the comedy loads were. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. There is a comedy load and mystery load, um, and that just sounded like a lot. Like it'd be a lot of fun for um, folks involved in packing. And they just would. They would just think that would just be fun. <laughs> well, and, and that's like when you're packing. A lot of times, that's what you end up with when you're. Um, we pack a lot for volunteer organizations into the Bob that do trail work, and so you never right. know what they're going to come up with for you to pack. And so it's kind of the same thing in real life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. on that Makes Mule sense. Days pack-off contest, the Backcountry Horsemen of California sponsor several of the collegiate teams that participate in that. Oh, how cool. How cool. Well, I, I actually I saw that as well, and it looked like that might be a whole lot of fun to get into a, into a packing competition. And uh, mm-hmm. so, what is your program like that you're working with in Montana, as far as the as far as the packing clinics? So, um, our next event we have coming up is a youth packing summer camp, and we actually still have a few openings if people in Montana are listening to this. And so, it starts next Thursday, and we meet at the trailhead at noon, and in the afternoon and evening, the kids learn how to do the packing, and that Thursday evening we have a campfire chat with Smoke Elser, who I think has been on your show before. He has. And then yeah. on Friday morning the kids pack up all their gear, and we hike two miles into the wilderness. And the now are you uh, at the Bob? Is this up. where this is? Yep, we're in the Bob. Okay. And uh, and the gear gets packed on the the stock, and the kids hike just because of liability issues. And then uh, we get to camp, and they set up camp. We teach them leave no trace. And then on Saturday, we hike into a place called Heart Lake, which is two miles away, and we do some trail work on the way so that the kids learn about giving back to the wilderness. And then at Heart Lake, we swim and fish and do some more leave no trace type stuff. And on Sunday, we pack up camp and come back out to the trailhead and meet the parents by noon. Oh, wow. Wow. That that sounds fantastic. So now you said you had some openings still for that. We do. And and so how do they reach out to you if they're listening today? I hope we've got listeners out in Montana. If we have listeners out there that might uh, have kids that want to get involved, how do they contact you for that? So they can get more information by going to the Backcountry Horseman Montana website, or they can shoot me a text. It'd probably be the easiest. And my number is four zero six. Two six one five four five zero. All right, four zero six two six one five four five zero, and and you can text him and reach out that way as well. So, yeah, do not do like uh, uh, these politicians are doing in Tennessee right now. I got a text at uh, six fifteen this morning to vote for so and so in the elections of the day, and it's like I would never vote. For so do not text Greg <laughs> at that time of day. That time of day. <laughs> so uh, with the kids that you've been working with for a little while, uh, have you in Montana? Have you worked with them long enough that now they're kind of growing up and starting to get involved on a on a basis with backcountry horsemen? So yes, and so we've been working with them. Um, like intentionally probably the last eight years. And we have several young people that have turned into professional packers. We have several young people that have, 
um, started working for the Forest Service, and we have several young people that have pack stock. They might have one pack horse and a saddle horse, and so they may not have a full-on string, and that's okay. Um, but they're right. using the wilderness um, with their pack stock, and they're, us- they're using the wild country, which is our intention is to get people using it. That is fantastic. Well, one of the things that we've talked about uh, is the fact that because of just the way things are today, to get young people involved in any kind of horse activity uh, is a little bit more difficult than it used to be. Now, uh, I find that more women and girls are involved with horses. Have you found that to be the case? Absolutely. And at first it started to bother me, and then I found out that in the equestrian um, vet clinics, vet schools, equine vet schools, that 90% of the students are women. And wow. so wow. that that kind of made lights go on for me going, wow, you know, it's not us. It's, right, right, right. It's right. what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, and, I, and I've always told young men, if you want to meet young women, get a, get a horse. You know, that's, <laughs> get a horse. that's the way to do it. I, I always tease my wife because when we first met, I knew how to tie a Windsor knot to hold a saddle on. And I always yeah. tease her, and she had horses. I always tease her that that's the reason she picked me was because I was the one who could get the saddle on for her. <laughs> <laughs> so it works. Uh, it works. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, you're talking about your wife and the saddle. Uh, uh, was she involved with Backcountry Horseman before you, or did you bring her on board? No, we actually uh, were married and joined Backcountry Horsemen like probably within the first year that we were married. Wow. 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 Well, see, that's what I'm saying, guys. If you want to meet a girl, get a horse. And that, that just yes. proves And And you have to pack as well, and so I don't have to do all the work myself. Uh, <laughs> that's good. That's good. That is good. Bobby, you had a question that you were going to bring up. Well, it's sort of off topic, but it's about the Bob Marshall. Again, I'm having fun going through the newsletter. And here in Albuquerque, I've been seeing um, news articles about the weed uh, challenge that we have. And I'm reading about the Bob Marshall um, also having um, noxious weeds and and sort of, you know, what's, what um, members of BCHA are doing to to help um, mitigate the, the weed problem. Are you familiar with that, with the Bob Marshall? And so Ways Backcountry Horsemen are getting involved. Um, we are, we have a grant um, to do, oh, probably half a dozen trailhead rebuilds going up the middle fork of the Flathead River. And mm-hmm. with all those rebuilds, we're spraying for weeds and okay. like a multi-year program. And in addition to spraying for weeds, any disturbance that we do with the dirt, we plant grass there so that the weeds don't have a chance to start. Uh-huh. And then in addition to that, the Bob Marshall Wilderness Foundation um, has a weed crew that consists of a couple of weed interns and then volunteers. And the, they do several projects every summer in the complex. Um, spraying noxious weeds and pulling noxious weeds and the backcountry horsemen are very involved in packing the crews in and out of the wilderness and often they'll pack out bags full of hand-pulled knapweed. That's that's real that's very interesting to me because I don't think you know we think about 
trees that come down and, you know, other things that need to be done to keep the trails open. But I don't know that we've ever talked about the weed problem before. So very interesting. And, and the way we see it is that it's not necessarily a problem. But we don't want it to become a problem. Right, right. Yeah. In, in that last Back at the Horseman of the American newsletter that you were talking about, there's an article about the East Slope Back at your Horseman chapter in Montana, mm-hmm. and they actually mm-hmm. have sprayers that go on the back of mules, and they can spray in the backcountry that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Okay. Thank you. Well, I didn't know what you were going to talk about when you started talking about weed, Bobby. <laughs> Well, how that ties in with you. <laughs> and Noxious Weed. <laughs> Live radio. You can't edit. You can't go back. <laughs> how that ties in with weeds is when we're teaching young people about leave no trace in the backcountry, we talk very much about noxious weeds and how okay. to avoid packing noxious weed seed into the backcountry. Well, mm-hmm. that's true. And some, some areas require uh, weed free hay to be brought in, you know, so yep. so that can become a real problem. So talk a little bit about the evolution of a packer model. Uh, this this was an area that we wanted to visit with just a few minutes. So when we meet with fifth graders or 10-year-olds, we keep it short, and we just kind of plant the seed. This is something that we can do. There's a summer camp up here called with the Glacier Institute that um, is 90, 11 year olds. And we ride into their camp with a pack horse. There'll be like four or five adults, four or five pack horses. We'll go riding in and these kids think we came right out of the woods and they've, most of them have never seen that before. And we meet with them about an hour. They get to pet the horses. They get to ask questions. We tie in the skills they'll learn, the outdoor skills they're learning at that camp to what we do horse, with horses in the backcountry. And then um, from there, we it's, so we're planting the seed. And then as they get a little older, 12 to 15 years old, 12 to 17, then we're starting to teach them how to manti, um, how to use panniers, um, how do you go in the backcountry. And that might be a half-day clinic. That might be a full-day clinic. That might be a weekend. And a lot of times we'll have repeat kids coming so that we'll see the same kid for three or four different summers. Okay. And then, and then a lot of those kids, not, I say a lot, several of those kids will go on to pack professionally um, for outfitters, for the forest service. Um, they may go work for the forest service on trail crews and in the Bob, most of the trail crews use stock to get around. Um, okay. And so it's, it's never our intention that when we go meet some, young person that they're automatically going to become a packer. It's a lot of little steps to get them to think of the big picture. So uh, I just, as you were talking about that, I just had a question. Are most of these young people uh, familiar with, uh, with horses and mules before they get involved in this, or is this, they have to learn that while they're learning packing? Um, I would say, 10% 10% of them have horses or mules of their own, and another 10% um, are familiar with them because grandma and grandpa have them or an aunt and uncle have them. Um, but 80% of them have never been around stock at all, and so they learn that wow. kind of stuff as well. Wow, wow. That, that, is, that is fantastic. That is fantastic. 
that they are actually being exposed to horses and mules for the very first time. And uh, and then that's a large large percentage that you have that go on into uh, using what they've learned uh, as a career. That that speaks very well to your type of folks. And, and so ranger Well, and for fun, and you know that's part of the that's part of the packing deal. Um, our, our friend Robert Eversole, Bobby keeps telling us that he wants us to come up and go ride in the bob with him, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Yes, I think yeah. he sends that invitation every month. Yes, <laughs> uh, well, pretty often, pretty often. But anyway, that's pretty cool. Well, tell us how we can get involved with Backcountry Horsemen of America, where we are. What's the best way to do that, Randy? Well, yeah, we have a great website, and on that landing page is a chapter locator. It has a map and contact information. So it's simply. <laughs> B-C-H-A dot org. Of course, that's the acronym for Backcountry Horsemen of America, or you can just do a Google search. But B-C-H-A dot org gets to that landing page. About quarter way down is that chapter locator. And we encourage folks to join a chapter, even if you not have the packing skills or have your own horses or mules. There's lots of things people can do. I mean, we do we have work parties. We also have events and activities uh, and trail riding, but most of the time our men and women, the volunteers of BCHA are, are you know, given back to their public lands, and it's just that kind of feel-good atmosphere of everyone's chipping in to do something that benefits not just, you know, the, the horsemen and women, but that's going to benefit hikers and in some cases even bikers on these trails where we're maintaining trails and being thanked. Our crews are often being thanked by these other people for the work that we do. So it's very rewarding, uh, you know, and you're around with a great group of people. So I encourage folks to look us up on the website. All right, bcha.org. And and I will just throw this out. I have heard that when you have these work parties that get out and, and work on the trails, there's always some pretty good food that goes along with it. So that's another plus. That is another and, plus. And we make the mistake of calling them work parties when they're a, a whole lot of fun. They're way more fun than they are work. There you <laughs> go. There you go. Well, Greg, you've been great to have on. We're going to have to have you come back and visit with us again. And, Randy, it's always good to have you on. We look forward to uh, having you with us as well as Sherry Copeland. She has become a real pleasant part of Backcountry Horseman on Equestrian Legacy Radio. So we look forward to having you guys back with us again. Thank you for your time today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, we're going to take a listen to a song by Mr. Doug Figs called Yellow Horse. And when we come back, we're going to be heading on out to Sacramento, California, and talk about the Sheriff's Department there and how they're using America's Mustangs in their prisoner rehabilitation program. Greg, Randy. Thanks so much. Have a great week, guys. Thanks for having us on here. The morning sun is on my back. The ponies stop to graze. That yellow horse is standing guard on a lazy summer day. 
California. Hey, JP. Hey, Gary. Hey, Bonnie. How are you guys doing? Good. <clears throat> okay, I, I got a question for you there, Gary. 
Did you pick that song by Doug Figs because uh, you know he and I were friends? You like Doug Figs? Yeah. Yep. I listen to him, <laughs> yep. I listen to him every yeah. Thursday night uh, live on Facebook while I'm training horses. Oh, oh gosh, that's wow, pretty that's cool. fabulous. Cool. Well, I don't know if Doug knows that or not, but we'll be sure and tell him, okay? We'll pass that yeah. on. Oh, so does. Bobby's out in <laughs> Albuquerque, New Mexico, so she's pretty close out there to Doug. I see uh, him all the anyway, time, yes. Welcome. Yeah, well, welcome to the show. And um, I have heard just really, really good things about you, Ms. Dial, and uh, and the work <laughs> that you're doing out, out there with the Sacramento, California Sheriff's Department. So, let me ask you first uh, to tell us how you got involved with Mustangs. Oh, boy. Well, basically, a Mustang <laughs> saved my life. Um, I was real successful in the corporate world. And you guys all remember the big crash in 2007, 2008. Actually, started yes, in sir. 2007. Yeah. I lost everything. I lost, uh, lost my house, my wife. I made tons, like a tons of money. I was basically depressed, didn't really get off the couch, and it was a good buddy of mine named Bob Abbasi, and he was a first salary over in Texas, and he got me out riding. And before too long, I got my first Mustang, and she became my reason why. I mean, she's the reason I got up off that couch. She's the reason I got out of that, that, that funk that was in my mind, you know, is that was she saved my life. Well, I will tell you, JP, that is a story that I have heard before. And uh, I've even talked to some people that uh, went through that crash of 2007, 2008. And it happened to be Mustangs that brought them out. So it's amazing what these stinking horses can do, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. They're incredible. And absolutely incredible. They, yeah. The healing power of a a Mustang is just incredible. Yeah, yeah. And and horses in general, but particularly we're talking about our Mustangs and uh, and the work that you're doing with the Sheriff's Department out in California. But mm-hmm. um and and by the way, you're a, you're a pretty pretty good competitor with the extreme Mustang makeovers that have been going yeah, on. Yeah, sure was. But how'd you get Yeah. Yeah, how'd you get involved with the Sheriff's Department out there? Um I had got a phone call on July 4th a few years ago. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, life as a trainer, you have tons of ups and downs, and, you know, it's hard on relationships. And it's just one of those times when things are falling apart again. You're like, oh, my word. Kind of just come to Jesus meeting with him himself, standing out in front of a barn, yelling at the sky, you know, using some quite some profanity at the time. Um, oh, you know, wow. It's like, what, what else? Yeah, what else do you want, God? You know, I'm working, I'm trying to save your animals. What else do you want? You know, I had two friends that were training with me, helped me along the, way, along the way, pass away. I'm like, what more do you want? I'm not going to quit. I'm not giving up. And I was on July 3rd, about 1 30 in the afternoon. And on July 4th, I got the phone call for uh, about Sacramento Sheriff's Office. So I was like, huh? Mm. Okay. <laughs> God uh, moment. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm supposed to be here. So no, the, the program is real special to me. Um, you know, my mission's always been to change the life of uh, horses and, and people and uh, couldn't find a better place to do it. You know, I, 
I love every bit about it. No, I never thought I would be in California having grown up in the Florida Keys. You know, I didn't get into horses until, you know, back in 2007, 2008. So, you know, I get to work with a good group of guys. And they, you know, they're only there because of some bad decisions. But when it comes down to it, they're really good men. And get to watch their lives change moment by moment, day by day. And it's, it's real surreal. I mean, I, I'm one of these lucky guys that has the best best job in the world. They can call it a job because I love what I do. Yeah, yeah. So uh, being with the Sheriff's Department now, and we talked a little bit about this on the on the phone the other day when you and I visited, but the program with the Sheriff's Department is different from the prison programs that work with horses. And uh, uh, folks that are incarcerated in the Sheriff's Department are not necessarily in for as long as uh, – they are in prison. So how are the prisoners selected to be part of your program? So that, that happens uh, inside the branch. I have uh, deputies. I have a, a great support staff inside. Um, you guys have to meet certain requirements. Um, that they're best to kind of go over. But generally speaking, and they're nonviolent offenders, they have to be part of the uh, reentry uh, group. Um, you know, we have other vocational services there too that they learn in reentry. And we also have welding, we have engraving, uh, landscape, and, uh, and hopefully we'll have the construction going up again here soon. So when they're selected into the reentry, or, and it's presented to them when they're coming into jail, and they've already been sentenced, and they have to be sentenced to be into the program. And to be part of my program, they do have to have a, you know a minimum time, you know, typically a six months. Or longer, and that's because of uh, you know I teach them my six levels of uh, horsemanship. I mean, these guys really learn. I mean, when they leave after, you know, when they graduate, the guys who make it to level six, and they can pretty much be an assistant trainer from with any program in the United States. These guys are pretty oh, wow. pretty dang good. Wow. So uh, they have to meet certain requirements. Um, they're chosen by the, like I was mentioning, by the reentry staff and presented the program and then they they come on out um, i'm not involved in the actual selection of of the offenders that are in our program okay. but, uh, i love it when i get out there and so how, what does the program consist of because you said you had six steps so so what are those steps that they go through okay so you gotta kind of imagine these guys most everyone who comes into this program never never been around a horse uh, occasionally, there'd be right. a couple guys that uh, that have you know gone on a trail ride. Occasionally, some maybe had some experience with the horse beyond that, but for the most part, they've ne- they've never handled a horse before. So it starts it starts at the beginning. You know how how they're going to uh, how you lead a horse, how you groom a horse. You know everything in the level one is just to how the, how they handle the horse. They start, they start learning the body language of horse. They're doing um, ranch work in conjunction and to to working with the horse and then working with a trained horse. Keep that in mind. <laughs> we ain't, we don't, they don't step in with a wild horse and, until later. So they're learning how to speak to the horse in the horse's language. They're learning how to make connection with the horse and build a relationship. So they're learning the fun, very fundamentals and how to saddle a horse. The, uh, the test that they do is actually very similar to what you see at the uh, in-hand portion of 
of an extreme Mustang makeover. It's very okay. similar. A little bit more to it, but it's it's, it's very similar. And that's going to be their uh, their level one. Um, and they'll do their first ride typically at, you know, at the end, towards the end of their uh, their level one. And then level two now now have them in the saddle. Now they're riding, and now granted these are horses that are trained. Uh, typically, this is, you know Mustang you know, that we're using that has you know, has much more training on it. Right, they're actually using one of mine currently, and then um, they're learning their transitions, how to walk, trot, and, and lope, and then they're getting their seat. They're they're understanding how to communicate in the saddle. Typically, I'm teaching the guys how to start with a uh, riding with a hackmore, you know, bozal, okay, and then and then and then into the bit, and soft hands, real light, real light, you know, how not to be in the horse's mouth. And when they get up to level three, now they're starting to get up a little more advanced in their riding. And at, at level three, at that point, they're they're able to they're riding horses that don't necessarily have as much training on. These are the horses that have already been started that are in the upcoming adoptions. Okay. And at that point, they're they're supporting the higher level guys because you know my higher level, once you're at level four, you accomplish level four you're starting, you're going to be working with a wild horse. And at that point, they they have the skills, they know how to make the connection, they know how to build that relationship and that trust with that horse and how to build that respect. You know, that horse, a horse looks to you to be a leader. It's our job to be the leader for the horse. They're not in the herd any longer. And at that point, these guys are at, at that level and get to go in and start a wild horse that's never been handled. And that's that's the beauty. That's the surreal moments that I just love. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, wow. being a first touch on a horse. I've, wa- I've watched men cry after doing a first touch on a horse. Oh, wow. And it, you know, just makes you feel so good. And then in level five, they're more advanced riding. They're taking that, that horse that they've, that they've got that first touch on. They're doing the first ride on that horse. You know, they're, those are the, the neatest moments, and they're getting pretty advanced. They're advancing that horse on, and then in level six, these guys are getting handy. I mean, they're they're doing advanced maneuvers with the horse, working on suppleness, soft riding. And I teach you guys to ride, uh, you know, using their seat. In my style is very very much a, uh, you know, patero horsemanship. You know, where it's really okay. with the with the seat, and it's just beautiful to watch these guys riding these horses. And at that point, you know, we we have cattle out there, so the guys are going to be team pinning and, and sorting. You know, the old saying, nothing makes a horse better than a cow. It's, mm-hmm. it's true. Wow. And then, oh, uh, wow, you know, wow. so when they're at level six, I mean, these guys really seriously could go on, because I have. We have several guys that have been very successful. We've got guys that are training horses. You know, Bobby's up in Montana training horses. He does some other things. He's actually up there with the previous manager, but I mean, he's doing exceptionally well. And we said, oh, that's great. Go off and become farriers, very successful. Um, I've had many leave my program and go to go into training. Uh, Bobby actually did the uh, Extreme Mustang Makeover in Oklahoma. Yeah, you were Less telling me that there were a couple of guys, yeah, that you brought, uh, yeah. you brought a couple of guys up there? Well, I uh, I brought one, and Joe brought one down from Montana. 
Uh, Jared okay. Meisner, he was a previous manager. And uh, he brought one from Montana, and I brought a guy from uh, Sacramento. And it was just really neat to watch these guys out there. You know, I was like, this is cool. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, these guys are these guys are pretty handy, and I have uh, I have trainers in the area, local trainers. Uh, call all the time, ask them when I have someone getting out. You know, it's you know, cause they're they're always looking for assistant trainers. There's not a ranch out here I can I can think of that doesn't need somebody to work on the ranch, even if they didn't if right. they do those higher levels, or even if they aren't going to necessarily be an assistant trainer. There's still work they can do on a ranch. Hey, and you can handle a horse. And then it kind of grows into something. And that's kind wow. of it's pretty neat. So how many how many prisoners would you have in uh, in your program at one time? Uh, typically, the the max is going to be ten offenders. Uh, currently, I have six. Um, okay. COVID and the, the quarantines have made it difficult. As you can imagine, over this during this time. Uh, right. There's been a couple of times it's just been down to three, and I'm on the horses, training the horses with them. Um, currently, the guys are actually on a COVID quarantine, so it it makes things a little 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 difficult, but um, mm-hmm. they get they get through it. And uh, you know, tens are tens are going to be our ten is our max. Okay. Okay. And 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 are they are they those ten? Um, that go through that six-step program, uh, and I guess not mm-hmm. everybody goes through the six steps. Not every one of them or, will, will will get get you know. Not every one will accomplish level six. Right. Um, various reasons. You know, some take longer, but quite often they'll get out before they reach it. Okay. Um. Yeah. Being, you know, even at the level three well, and can you, four, can I mean, you, guys, they're getting pretty good at three and four. Yeah. Yeah. They're really good. If they're at four, yeah, they're they're gonna, if they're working with the wild horse, they know how to communicate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we have many so JP, up there tell, to, tell. To six. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the type of change that you see uh, in your offenders. And I'll use that term now. I've, I've caught that you're using that term. With the offenders, sure. what what kind of change do you see in these guys? Yeah, you know, when they when they first join the, the program, you know, they bring a lot of the, the language, you know, from the streets or from back at the uh, we call them the, the barracks. You know, they're like in a dorm type setting in uh, in the jail. You know, when they come out, you know, first thing I notice is language starts to change. Okay. And, you know, as we're working with the horses, yeah. The body language, the way they carry themselves, starts to change. It doesn't happen immediately. It takes a little time. You know, it usually takes right. a month or so. You know, I start to see the changes probably about three weeks in, and they just you see them kind of wow. coming softer. You know, in order in, in order for these guys to you know, work with a horse, they have to learn to become vulnerable, and that's something very hard for them. When you think about it, being vulnerable and sitting inside a uh, a jail is not that's not normal. And, yeah. And but they but you really have to be. You know, a horse. I mean, I was telling somebody yesterday. I don't know where I heard this quote. You know, but every cell in the horse's body is eavesdropping on your thoughts. So the, their energy, the mind, everything has to kind of be in the right spot. 
And that's that part of the vulnerability that they, they have to learn. You know, the guys will say, oh, they learned patience. And I'll look at them and say, nah, you're going to become vulnerable. They don't like it when I use the word sometimes, but it's true. Yeah. And once I do yeah. that, and you start to see that change, then you start to see the trust and the, you know, trust that connection really happened with that horse and then that relationship builds. And that, that has to happen. And the horse does that. I teach them how to speak to the horse and how to communicate to the horse and the, and the horse's language. So the horse is doing that. Now, I'm not a therapist, not a counselor. I'm just kind of guiding them through using the experiences I had in, in my darker times. Yeah. 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 Well, how is, how is, and I'm going to ask you a question that we haven't even thought about before, but how has this changed you? Oh, drastically. <laughs> um, you know, just watching, just watching these guys do that. It's just, it's made me just more conscious of everything, conscious of the change in people and, that, and not to judge people. You know, okay, these guys made a couple of bad decisions. Yeah, yeah. They're good, they're good people. You know, we're all so judgmental in this world. And there's, there's no need to be. I mean, these guys, they're really good people. They just went the wrong way. That makes me appreciate things. Uh, yeah. I see a lot, of, a lot of scenarios where they didn't have a good father figure. I'm very appreciative that I had a wonderful father that, uh, that raised me really, really well. Great parents. And I, I see that that's an issue that's led many of them into that wrong path. But what I've learned about myself is how much I love teaching people, working with people in wow. relationships with the horses. And, you know, I was, I was a trainer, you know, and then I came from a leadership background in the corporate world, never thought the two would come together and to watch myself to change in the excitement that I get in the region of, you know, I just, this makes me feel so good in my soul. It rejuvenates myself so much just working with these guys. Wow. 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 And it's, well, that it's is just, that's, uh, uh, wonderful. Wow. That's pretty special. That is pretty special. Well, I got to ask you, are you going to come to see us in Fort Worth in uh, September? We're gonna try. Yeah, September is kind of a kind of a busy month, but I'm gonna sure try. I made it to uh, I was at Oklahoma last year. I won't, I won't right. be competing myself, and I'm uh, competing currently. But um, sure gonna try to get there because I have a lot of friends competing there. Well, there'll be a lot of folks competing, and and by the way, I think uh, I think that starts September the eighth through the 11th, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. And that is the uh, Extreme Mustang Makeover taking place at the Stockyards in Fort Worth, Texas, for the Extreme Mustang Makeover. And I, and I think that's right, September 8th through the 11th. And uh, so we're going to encourage folks to show up because what you see happening with these Mustangs that have been worked with for 100 days uh, is just unbelievable. And, uh, and I yeah, think... I think what change you see in some people that have worked with these Mustangs is pretty unbelievable as well. And so that should be. A good yeah, it changed me. In 2009, I went to my first one, and I was like, I have, I, I couldn't, I had to do it. It was the ultimate in horsemanship. 
and then yeah. I've made it made it to the magic, been to, invited to the magic uh, multiple times, and it's like just that it that's what led me down this path too of, of training, and part of it was practicing. I had to make the makeup. I had to do one. They're mm-hmm. really neat events. If, if you've never been to one, you need to go. It's amazing what these people can do in a hundred days with a horse. Wow. Well, Bobby Bell, I don't know where we're going to have a makeover that's real close to you, but Fort Worth isn't just all that far, you know. And uh, and I think we're planning on one back in Kentucky probably for 2023 and then back again yeah. in Fort Worth a little bit later in the year. But, uh, JP, I really do look forward to seeing you. I hope you make it uh, to Fort Worth in September. So we'll look forward to seeing you there. Thank you for what you're doing with these uh, offenders and thank you for what you're doing, finding homes for the Mustang through this program. So we appreciate everything that you're doing on both levels. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's been, it's been a pleasure. We look forward to having you come back again. We'll visit some more and find out what's going on with you and your training program as well. So thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, buddy. All right. So uh, if you're not familiar with Wiley and the Wild West, JP, you're going to like this. This is one called the Wild Mustang. We'll be back in a moment with Bobby Bell. Been carried below the knees. I've never been hobbled, I've never been tamed. You can't touch me, baby. I'm a wild Mustang. I'm wild. I'm wild. I'm wild. I'm a wild Mustang. You can build your pants, horse high, hog tight. You can track me, baby, all day and all night. You can try to run me off of my range. <laughs> but you can't touch me, baby. I'm a wild Mustang. I'm a wild. I'm a wild. I'm a wild. Never be kissed by a she-wolf's vine 
that offenders have a variety of programs to choose from as they prepare for a reentry, including engraving and landscaping and some other things. And, and I think it's wonderful to have an assortment of, you know, areas to learn, to be prepared. But I couldn't help but feel that those other programs aren't going to touch your heart the same way as working with a horse. I mean, that there's just a whole evolution of things that are going to go on when he talked about uh, within three or four weeks he can see a change in body language a change in in verbal language and I think "Mm." so if you were doing the landscaping or the engraving you know work would it have that same kind of impact on you and my guess would be no yeah I think not I think not I think if I were doing landscaping about all you'd see there would be sweat at this time of year <laughs> uh, gosh, but I I have a I have a great yard guy, so he's he's a pretty cool guy, Darwin. But um, well, anyway, it was fun, and and I think a very very interesting show. So I appreciate all of our guests. I appreciate all of our guests every week that join us. So it's, mm-hmm. it's great to yeah, have them take too. time out from from their daily activities to visit with us. Um, I'm going to do a, a shameless plug for my wife real quickly, and that is yesterday on Facebook, uh, she did her first episode of Nash West Live, Mary Kay Holtz, Nash West Live. Uh, you can go to her professional page, Mary Kay, and view that show now, uh, or you can go to my page, Gary Iholt, or go to Equestrian Legacy Radio or the International Western Music Association and see that show now. But it was just a stinking good show. And Tisha McKenna mm-hmm. was her guest. And uh, I don't know if you've gotten to see it yet, Bobby, or not. But it was, uh, yes, I watched it this morning. Yes, it's wonderful. Yeah, it was. It was I was very proud of her. And so uh, she's going to be doing that every week. It's on Wednesdays. 
at 4 o'clock Central. And as she said, she gets to be the opening act now for Susie Boggess's Wind Down Wednesday that comes on at 5 mm-hmm. o'clock on Facebook. So that was, uh, that's cool. <laughs> I think she actually is open. I think she's open for Susie in the past. So that was, that was pretty good. Check it out because it's there now to go back and look at live at four on Wednesdays and then you can always go back uh and, and see those shows. Um tell us what's happening with Out West. Uh well we premiere our brand new um episode number one tonight on LA Talk Radio and it will use uh StreamYard to also stream live on LA Talk Radio's Facebook page, which is very new for us. Um, But my husband and I are launching a brand new um, show in the tradition of a very popular show that I was involved in for over seven years that was called The Writer's Block. And um, uh, the host of that show unfortunately passed away and we decided to pick it up and carry it forward under the name of Rendezvous with a Writer. And um, we have our very first episode tonight. So... We're, that is exciting. Six we're, o'clock. We're ready. Yeah, six p.m. Pacific time, and it's a fifty-minute show, and then there will be podcast link and so forth almost immediately, you know, afterwards. Okay. But um, yeah, we're excited. Well, I'm excited for you. So you and Jim will be hosting Rendezvous with a Writer. That's at six o'clock Pacific, seven o'clock yes. Mountain time. And 8 o'clock mm-hmm. Central, and I guess you might as well just go ahead and say 9 o'clock Eastern. I think that covered all of our yes. Yep. Uh, but check it out, <laughs> and if you can't do it live, then catch the podcast as well. So Bobby's Love, I have known for a long time, has been Western music and the written word. And uh, and so I'm, I'm tickled that you and Jim were continuing that. Uh, this has been kind of another sad week. You know, we lost Baxter Black earlier this year. Uh, we've we've all lost several friends. John Bergstrom's wife, Diane, passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. A fellow that's been a guest on the show, both uh, on on uh, Campfire Cafe and Saddle Up America. I guess he's been on both of those shows. And mm-hmm. the first time I met Jack was on uh, Blessed Trails with Belinda Gale on Equestrian Legacy mm-hmm. yes. a number of yes. years ago. Yes. But yes. Jack Hanna passed away and I got that phone call, I guess that was Sunday, uh, about his passing. And uh, Just a terrific singer with Sons of San Joaquin. A fine Christian gentleman, uh, a coach, a baseball player, uh, a presence that will be missed uh, as will the sons of the San Joaquin in general. So uh, I know you got to visit with Jack several times. Oh, yes. Jack and Joe and Lon and and Jack um, one-on-one several times at the Santa Cruz Cowboy Festival, including our very first year when we ran the Buckaroo Bookshop in 2009, and he had a book out for kids. You know, he was an educator, and a lot of his music about yeah. California and the West comes from his educator's heart. And he had written a wonderful kid's book called Read, Write, and Recite, I think. And we were doing story time. Joni Harms was there with one of her kid's books, and 
they were performing that year. And so they were there on the grounds and I reached out to them and Jack said, absolutely. You know, I can come over at these times between his, the gigs of the sons of the San Joaquin and he just walk in and you just felt a whole, his, his charisma, his warmth, his hearty, smile and and all you know just everybody turns is like is is that jack hannah you know and then he went and told a story i mean it was (laughs) and of course um the very first time we met the the sons was at the autry museum in a wonderful summer of weekly live music that's where i met don edwards the first time and buck ramsey and others and so Yes, this is um, the the legacy he leaves behind is phenomenal. And Jack, we'll see you on the other side. There is no doubt about that. Absolutely, absolutely. We're going to close out the show today with a great song from the Sons of the San Joaquin. It's called "From Whence Came the Cowboy." Enjoy this, and Bobby Bell. We will see you next week on the radio. From whence came the cowboy, the history is plain. He rode out of Europe on a frigate from Spain, Spain, to Mexico, southward and northward he spread. From the gaucho and the huasso, the vaquero was bred, bred. Your everyday cowboy and oh, what a sight. More dashing and daring than the medieval knight, knight, knight. Medieval night. Rodriguez, Gonzalez, Villalobos, Madron, Figueroa, Santiago, Palomino, Rasco, Rojas, Sanguia, 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 Sanguia. Cowboy. Yippee-yay, yippee-yo, come a horseman from history. Yippee-yay, yippee-yay, in all colors he came. Yippee-yay, yippee-yo, and his name still holds mystery. He is a legend, and Cowboy's his name. Name, name, Cowboy's his name. Then into the West from the Civil War days, the white and the black cowboy rode in like a blaze. Blaze, some will implore that all cowboys were white. I can tell you from facts, boys, that that isn't right, right. For all of the cowboys that rode a horseback, one-fourth of those hombres was sure enough black, 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 sure enough black. Those Iger, Britt Johnson, Jim Kelly, Jess Stahl, Nate Love, Eisenhower, Charlie Glass, Jim Perry, Bobby Crosby. Cowboy, yippee-yay, yippee-yo, come a horseman from history, yippee-yay, yippee-yay, in all colors he came, yippee-yay, yippee-yo, and his name still holds mystery, he is a legend, and Cowboy's his name, 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 Cowboy's his name. If you think the Cowboy is all said and done, this hombre that's carved out his place in the sun. He isn't gone, and I'm a telling your friend. There's more cows and horses than there's ever been. Been, 
the cowboy's a cowboy by whatever name. Whatever his color, his glory's the same. And his name, like his spurs, has a wonderful sound. Keep your eye on the sunset, cause he's still around, around, around. He's still around. Larry Shuey, Gary Martin, Waddy Mitchell, Jack Hanks, John Underwood, Randy Raymond, Bill Evans, Jess Smith, Joel Nelson, Cliff Tired, 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 Tired. Cowboy. If he are, if he oh, come a horseman from history. If he are, if he ain't all colors, he came. If he are, if he oh. And his name still holds mystery He is a legend And Cowboy's his name Name, name Cowboy's his name Yippee-i-a Yippee-a Yippee-a Yippee-i-o Yippee-o Yippee-o Yippee-i-o 